0: We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go, let's go. go. Hi everyone, it's Kara Golden from the Kara Golden Show, and I am super, super excited to have my next guest. I absolutely love, love, love this brand and Uh, Sarah Gibson Tuttle is the founder and CEO. It is an incredible brand called Olive & June, and it is a luxury nail care company, famous for salon quality, nail polish, and award-winning tools as well. We're going to let Sarah share a little bit more about it before opening the Beverly Hills flagship nail salon in 2013. She was a successful equity sales trader in at J.P. Morgan and as well as another firm called Morgan Stanley in New York for uh, 10 plus years. And after seeing a major opportunity for luxury yet affordable nail service, she decided to go all in and, and go ahead and start this incredible business. Uh, She was featured on the Inc.'s fourth annual Female Founders 100 list. And she is really about creating amazing, amazing products that really are differentiated. And she's got an amazing community too. Um, I'm going to let her introduce a little bit more about everything that she's doing. But welcome, Sarah, and thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me. So excited to be here.
0: Super excited. So for the listeners who aren't familiar with the Olive and June brand, can you share just
1: a bit more? Yeah. So Olive and June is really, it was founded on being the new type of neighborhood nail salon. The idea was that I love nails and I have always loved having my nails done, but I wanted to create a unique experience in the space that was really high customer service and affordable luxury. So you could still afford it on a weekly or biweekly basis. And so that's really where it started. I mean, it's taken a big journey since then. We've gone into products and we've essentially democratized the at-home experience and made it possible for you, for people everywhere to get you know, salon many petties at home. And so it's been really exciting to see Olive and June start in salons and then graduate into this at-home experience so that everyone everywhere could have beautiful nails. So it's, uh, it's been quite a journey and, and a wonderful one. That's awesome. So you grew up in New York. I grew up in the suburbs of New York. That's right. Mostly. I, have a little, I had a, like a stint in California for a couple of years and a stint in Colorado, but mostly in the suburbs of New York, yes. And you're out in Los Angeles now? I'm in LA. I've been, I've been here almost 10 years, which is super exciting.
0: That's that's crazy. And let's go back to before Olive and June. You were an equity trader. And uh, do you want to share a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, so I was an equity sales trader at Morgan Stanley and JP Morgan for 10 years, which basically means that I covered hedge funds and all of those movies that you see, <laughs> trading places and all those movies. I was sitting on a trading desk and it was really high energy, high intensity. Extreme customer service. And I think it was an incredible boot camp for me on how I was going to treat my future community. So, I mean, you have to have real relationships. You have to really understand what your client wants and what they need. Um, and so that service training was invaluable in my Olive and June journey. How did you get to be an equity trader? <laughs> Well, so my father worked in finance for a long time and I told him, I said, I want, you know, I want, I want to do something in finance when I was in college, basically after he told me that he wasn't going to support my acting career. So (laughs) I said, okay, fine. Then I, I'll do finance. You know, I didn't know, I didn't know much. I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I got a job. One of his friends got me a job, an internship on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange one summer during college. And I just absolutely loved it. And from there, I I did that for two summers. And then I, I actually started working at Career Services at Colgate because I figured if I could figure out how to script my resume correctly, I might be able to get one of these finance jobs because I had a 3-1. So I knew that wasn't going to make it happen. And so I had to figure out a way um, to craft this resume that was really robust and people would want to interview me. So it was a bit of a long shot and I got, but I did get an offer my senior year and I got rejected from everywhere, but one place. And so I got my foot in the door at JP Morgan. And, and then I just worked really, really hard because I was always, I would say like books wise, the least smart person in every room I was up against Ivy league kids that were, that they were like doing some of these you know, exercises and work in their sleep.
0: backslash Kara golden to subscribe for just fifty cents per week for your first year that's wild so you're working away ten years. What made you think that you were ready to go and start it in start a company i mean become an entrepreneur i mean i'm just can only imagine you're working. On the trading floor, you're around a totally different industry. I mean, were you just daydreaming, thinking <laughs> like, I'm going to go start my own company? I mean, just, it's pretty wild. Did you have friends? Was there anybody in particular that kind of, you know, lured you in some way into thinking maybe you could go do it?
1: The craziest part, and I think, and I, I would imagine you feel this way a little bit too, or, and you've, we've also seen it in other entrepreneurs, I'm sure, is that I just had this idea and I felt very strongly it would work. I just, yeah, I had a very clear idea and thought, I'm going to go after that and it's going to work. And of course you have those moments where you doubt yourself. Um, I actually use that to fuel me, but I think everyone has those moments. But I, I was sitting in finance. For a long time, I had said I was going to open a clothing store because that felt like a really fantastic thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I would get discounted clothes. I'm not kidding. Like that was, <laughs> I was just like, that would be amazing. I was obsessed with shopping. Um, and I finally had the money to shop when I was working in finance. So I was excited about it. But that morphed into at some point, I want to leave this career mm-hmm. and I want to do something different. And I had gone to LA and walked in a dry bar and just loved dry bar. I just thought dry bar was the smartest place. I like just was everything about it was so thoughtful from the cookies at the front desk to the experience with, you know, with your, um, with your hairstylist to just how friendly everyone was, the decor. Like I just loved everything about it. And so that's really where the idea, um, kind of took hold because I love nails and my father did not let me paint my own nails. So I, always like would sneak and get my nails done. And I thought they should have this experience in nails. And that's what it started. And I just was really, I think if I'd run a model, if I had done any of the things a smart person would do when launching a business, I wouldn't have done it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I always say, if you can't stop yourself from dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's, I forget it. Uh, You, you absolutely will not do the entrepreneurship route route for sure. So what made you think, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to go totally. You're going to change where you live. You're going to, you're going to start a company. I mean, that's, that must've been a huge year for you.
1: Yeah. So I, I was working in New York. I actually had quit Morgan Stanley and I worked for about six months, um, consulting for my father's company at the time. Um, and there's nothing more motivating to wanting to do your own thing or do something new than working with a family member, especially um, my very intense father. <laughs> so I, I, had, I had this idea and I had been out to LA a bunch and I also had started dating my now husband. So I had all of these kind of pulls to LA. Mm-hmm. And, but once the idea kind of crystallized in my mind, Of okay, I'm going to launch the Dry Bar for nails, which is really where it started. I mean, obviously, it's changed, it's morphed into so many things, but um, that's really where it started. Then I basically walked, you know, had coffee with my dad and said, "Here's a Forbes article on Ali Webb, and I'm going to go create this in nails." And he took like a solid week. I think every day we met for coffee or drinks every day that week, and he said, "This is a terrible idea, and I do not think you should do this, and it's going to be really hard." Um, for it to make money, and you're you've worked for ten years, you've built this career. I don't understand. You're so good at this. Why would you leave? Um, and I just felt it. I just really, I like saw it. And so I took a one way. I booked a one way ticket to LA, and I didn't come back. Um, and about nine months later, I opened Olive in June. So it was a little bit. It was a little bit of a moment of insanity, I think. But I also just knew that if I let myself get sucked back into finance, I would never leave that career.
0: That's wild. And so Olive and June was born. And uh, I love the story of who it was named after.
1: It's named after my grandmother and my great grandmother. Although I have to say my, so my grandmother is no longer with us. My great, sorry, my great grandmother is no longer with us. My grandmother is in her late nineties. And she, every time we talk about it, she says, I can't believe you named this after me. (laughs) It's really sweet.
0: That's awesome. So I'm so curious more about the brand story. So how did you plan to make Olive and June different from other nail salons? I mean, obviously you just talked a bit about dry bar, but what was kind of the key difference that you saw that wasn't out there yet?
1: I think I understood there wasn't a middle option. Mm-hmm. I I don't I felt like there wasn't a luxurious option that people could afford on a weekly or biweekly basis. Which I think I said before. Like I just understood that there was this middle option, similar to Dry Bar, but also similar to if you think about um, Sugarfish or if you've been to LA Earth Cafe in Los Angeles. Like I think food does it really well. They do this like kind of um, affordable luxury category pretty well. But beauty at that point really hadn't been served in that in mm-hmm. that way, mm-hmm. and so I just really understood that it needed to be this amazing experience at a price that you could afford. And again, Drybar was really like leading that inspiration for me. I also just love I lo- like I love nails, and so and I've always loved the finished product of my nails being done. So for me, I've always loved having a manicure, and so I just think that I understood. I want 500 bottles of polish on the wall because I want a million colors. I want my credit card on file because I don't want to be fumbling when my nails are wet to pay my bill. I, you know, I want to have preference, a preference sheet because I don't want to tell the manicurist every time don't cut my cuticles. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just because I was so in tune with what I want the experience to be that it just like flowed from me very naturally of how we were going to create this new type of neighborhood nail salon.
0: So in the spring of 2019, while managing three locations in L.A., you decide to launch the direct-to-consumer business, which, you know, seems so obvious today, given everything we've all been through over the last couple of years. But, I mean, was that sort of a crazy idea when you were first launching it? Were people asking you, why are you doing that?
1: Yes. I mean, every <laughs> single, I, I feel like it was one of my biggest challenges mm-hmm. because it was this, and you asked us a lot on your show of what's your biggest challenge and, and thing that you had to kind of fight through. And, like, and, and it, sometimes it's a failure, sometimes it's a challenge. For me, it was explaining this big idea to a group of investors who were basically like, you have a successful model in the salons why don't you just grow that? And Mm -hmm. also again, when dry bars are inspiration, but also there's a number of, you know, other types of uh, very successful chains in this country or in the world, like why not go after what has been done and what you have built already. And I was just, I was fiercely attached to the idea that while this was more for, this was affordable luxury and it was more affordable luxury than for example, if you walked into the peninsula to have a, you know, a a nail experience, it still was $30 a manicure. Mm -hmm. It still was, you know, somewhat expensive. And the idea that makeup was 99% at home, hair is predominantly at home, that food, fitness was all coming to your home and you were able to do it yourself. And in nails, the basically, you know, very, very few people were doing their own nails. I just felt like I can solve this. I can make this possible. And it, it was true It was truly a democrat, like, how do I truly democratize something? Um, Because I thought I was doing that with salons. Mm -hmm. But then I think as you grow, you realize, well, a $30 manicure is actually not democratizing a salon manicure. Um, And so it was a real, it was hard for me to convince past investors and then new investors that this was the, that this was the journey that Olive and June should take. And that, um, also because at the time it was pre COVID and people were like, who would do their nails at home Yeah. and investors, like think about who has money to invest. It was, it was mostly, um, you know, personal investments or family offices. Like the people around them are getting their nails done. Like they're not people that are, that are like, let me try to like figure out how to do it myself. And so it was pitching it to a group of people that didn't really understand and felt like, why would anyone want to do this? And you have a successful business. Why are you, why are you distracting yourself? Absolutely. And how did you fund the company? Originally, I funded it with my savings from Mm -hmm. finance. Um, And then I did, I've done three rounds of financing, most of which have been individual investors um, and strategic investors. We have um, very, very small VC funding. So, you know, Nails has, had a few big exits but there's also been a number of nail brands that have been less successful for venture capital and so it was very very difficult getting people to believe in the vision Th- those who did were you know steadfast and like this is going to work or they would say well I don't know if it's going to work but I believe in you which is always like half a compliment yeah and then but some people just flat out didn't get it and told me that nails would never be a thing
0: yeah well I can only imagine since the majority of investors are still men um you know they they wouldn't necessarily understand uh the whole concept of getting your nails done and and painted maybe there's men that do manicures for sure but uh but i bet you ran up against people who definitely were um your doubters
1: out there so so much doubt so much doubt and and The, the worst thing you can tell an entrepreneur is I believe in you, but I don't believe in the idea because the, (laughs) the reality is like, I'm clearly very into this idea. So if you believe in me, you should get on the train. And I, I angel invest in very small amounts now. And I really try to not say any of the things that people said to me that were super hurtful. Cause I just don't think people realize like the way they, you can inspire someone, even if you're not writing a check.
0: Yeah. No, that's uh, that's absolutely
1: the case. So, uh, how many salons do you guys have now? So we currently have z- no salons. Oh, um, in- we closed. Interesting. Yes, yeah, so we closed our salons during COVID. LA has been incredibly, an incredibly challenging market to keep um, salons open given the restrictions. And I think I had this epiphany. You know, we had run these successful salons, but we had also we had moved from a contractor to an employee model. So mm-hmm. a lot of things had changed. And the manicurists really didn't love, as a whole, did not love being employees. And I I think, you know, and COVID gave me a lot to reflect on. I think 2020 gave had a number of moments where people had intense reflective periods. And one of the things I thought was a lot of the manicurists that are the most successful at all in June came here and then moved on to have their own salons or Mm -hmm. own spots in some capacity. And so I thought... What I'm going to do now is take all of our supplies, everything that's in our salons, and I'm basically going to have a it was a bit of a free for all, but it was like a, a couple of days at the salon where all the manicures could come, past manicurists, current manicurists and take whatever supplies they wanted to to really start off their own businesses. It was a way to kind of, you know, not, you know, indirectly help fund like entrepreneurs who manicurists who wanted to start their own their own businesses. And it was one of my favorite days of the pandemic because it really, we all got to hang out and everyone took just like, just so many supplies that were, by the way, so expensive at that time because, um, of the supply chain. So yeah. it was really exciting to support them on those journeys. And I don't know what the future for all of In June salons are. I think the reality is we have one really thriving, busy business. And so I don't, I, I, I will listen to my investors now and try to not distract myself.
0: I love it. Well, the whole presentation that you guys present is amazing. And obviously you've developed this incredible community. Um, I love everything that you guys are doing on social and, uh, how do you think, I mean, what, what's been the biggest surprise in building? I mean, look, the pandemic was a total surprise to most, um, who, you know, clearly did not, uh, see it coming or anticipate sort of what it meant. Um, I've talked to many entrepreneurs about that, but what do you think has been the most surprising thing you've learned about being an entrepreneur? Literally, where do I begin? Um,
1: (laughs) I think that probably the most surprising thing for me has been that there is no silver bullet that you know, I looked up to a lot of entrepreneurs and what they built. And obviously you never think, I mean, you listen to your show, you listen to a number of other shows and you hear the twists and turns, but I always thought, okay, sure. But in the beginning, it's always a little bit unclear. And then, you know, you work with people who have done this before and it feels like they're going to come in with this expertise. And I think what I've learned is it's really about the people, not about the experience. Like there is no silver bullet for any challenge that you go through. There, of course, are learnings and people can bring learnings and help grow the business. But there, the world is constantly changing. And if you have the right people in the seats, they will be curious and creative enough to come up with whatever the solution is for that moment. Um, and it's kind of always new and different. It's obviously great if they have learnings and past experience to build on. Um, but I've learned that it's really about the people and, and having really good relationships with your team as best you can, obviously without, without being too much SGT on them. They don't need me like on the weekends on Saturday afternoon being like, let's talk about housewives. But even though I I would love to, Um, but I think it's, so for me, it's been that it's just, it's constantly figuring out what the new, new is, and not getting frustrated by it and, and having the right team that is really dedicated to, to what we're building and how unique that is. And that the compensation for them is not is, is about the success of the business as well, right? Because that means we've changed an industry. We've really created something new and unique and special and different, um, which is above and beyond any sort of like even equity or, or cash comp you can ever give them.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh you you touched on this before, but I'd love to hear uh if you can take us through a moment when Olive and June maybe had to overcome a big challenge uh or failure along the way and and what did you learn from from that experience?
1: Yeah, I think the the second round of fundraising. The first round of fundraising was difficult, but We found, we found, um, it's a friends and family round, but none of my family was in it. So it really was like friends and friends of friends. Right. And you, and you find a pocket and, you know, we only raised a little, a little amount of money in that round. So we were able to do that pretty quickly. The second round we were raising 3 million. It was incredibly challenging because I had this salon business and then I had this product idea. And I was trying to explain this. And I also had a much bigger idea um, technology-wise than we actually ended up launching with. We ended up um, not being able to, to make it work. The, the microfluidics of Polish is unique and special. And, um, and so some of the product ideas I had and tool ideas I had didn't fully work out. But so I'm pitching this idea. And so I have existing investors who are like, yeah, got it. Like you made good on what you said you do with all of in June. So we'll come back in, but then you have to come up with all new investors. And I wasn't going after VC funding because it was, a, it was too early. Um, I had had a few meetings and they'd gone well, but like, it was just too early and I didn't have the the runway, not even like a month of traction. And I didn't even have like the product built out. I needed the funding for the product. And so I'm trying to explain it. Um, and I literally, I think that round, that fundraising round took me almost a year, which for anyone, anyone who knows fundraising, it does not take you a year. It takes you a few months and you, you're up and down and then it's, it's closed, but I just could not get people to care or to believe in it. And I just was like, this is, this is going to be so major. I can see it. I understand it. And we didn't even have a PO from target or, you know, cause we're currently our, on our website in target right now where we sell our products. And I didn't, I didn't have anything. I just had it quote interest. And so I just didn't have, I look back and think, cause I look at businesses now all the time and I understand like what investors are looking for. And I just, it's a, it's a miracle we raised because we just didn't have the right, um, I didn't really have the right pitch. I didn't. I, I wasn't totally fully aware of how what I should be pitching. I just was like kind of all the ideas I would like spill into meetings, um, and so, and so many people told me not to do it and just said there doesn't need to be another nail polish in this world, and so but I kept going and I did it and then when the tool I was trying to make didn't work, that was not great, um, which ended up being the poppy, which is the um, patented handle we have that you pop on the top of nail polish bottles and you can paint with both hands equally, you know, equally as well. So it doesn't look like my seven-year-old painted one of your hands. (laughs) And, but, but I had to like, so, so I'm trying to raise money. Nobody really believes in it, you know, and I'm like, and I'm, and the product I'm making is kind of not working, which is like, oh my goodness. It's like, what am I pivoting to? And luckily I had an incredible internal team, a small, but mighty internal team, an incredible brand director Who's still with us today, who said, what if we just make the poppies a handle? Like, why do we have to make this big thing and nail polish bottles and see what happens? And so, and that became the Manny system. And so all these things happened. And luckily I had a few key people like my brand director, Crystal, or some of our investors who were like, keep going, just keep going. Like you have something. And I think we had so much press and influencers and celebrities and like all this Instagram love that I think these little bits kept me going to being like, okay, we're just, we're going to try to do this. And we launched in spring of 2019. And the first month, I mean, we were on a, you know, $1 million a year track record, uh, you know, run rate. And in the first month or two, and I, I really, I can't explain. It felt like we've done it against all odds. I love
0: it. No, that's, that's, such a great story for sure. You mentioned your team, so here you are coming from a totally different industry. I've been there before and popping into, uh, in my case, the water industry. Your case, the nail industry. So, how do you recruit a team? I mean, you've you don't have the experience, the uh, brand recognition in this industry. I mean i I look back and I think it it was a miracle, like those first few people who <laughs> believed right <laughs> that I could pull something off and uh and I just you know i I'm always so curious how how did you recruit those people?
1: I don't know i mean <laughs> i i <laughs> I go back and i think i I am grateful every day when people take a chance on olive and June mm-hmm. because it is, it's a unique proposition. And now it's very clear, right? Like now the business has gotten bigger and we're in target and it's very clear that we are here to stay. But for a very long time, it was, it was cross your, cross your manicured fingers. Yeah, And I am grateful every day that people joined. I think people who joined or invested early or They, I do believe that they, they believed in me. They believed in the fact that I was going to create something special in nails and they like, my passion can be very infectious. And so you either, but you're either, you're either excited about that or you think to yourself, I'm exhausted by this energy. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, But we have some people that we also worked with that had very little prior experience. And it was about what we talked about before about this, you know, there's no silver, silver bullet. It was, these are the people that are curious and excited and passionate about what we're building. And so the compensation for them was figuring it out. And they wanted to be there with with me. I also think there's some crazy people that like to, you know, create things out of thin air. And I'm lucky. I'm one of those people. I'm sure you're one of those people. and. That in, that alone, that opportunity, especially at a small company where I gave I gave a ton of responsibility to anyone coming in, it's really exciting.
0: Yeah, no, you do. You get so much more responsibility, but I think it's it's still. I mean, people are uh, are believing in you, right? And they're not just coming up with an idea themselves; they're supporting you. and And the fact that they that they do believe that you're going to be able to pull it off is. Um, it's a gift right to be able to really convince people that that you're going to be able to do it because I'm sure you had your own doubts in your mind you've got doubters around you who are saying you know why are you doing this Sarah i mean there's plenty of nail polish companies out there so i I just absolutely i think back on on those years and and um definitely've met People who have worked for other founders too and and uh, you know it's it's interesting because many of those people end up going and founding their own companies eventually but um but it starts somewhere and and uh, I just think it's such a it's a fascinating journey to talk to some of those people, so for sure well, thank you so much, Sarah. everybody needs to go to Olive in June, and do you want to give everybody the website just so that they know where to catch you?
1: Absolutely, it's you can buy our products at oliveandjune.com or on Target's app or website. Uh, we are now nationwide in Target, so every Target you walk into, you should see Olive in June, which is very exciting. And then on Instagram, we're at Olive and June. Same thing on TikTok. I'm at Gibson Tuttle, but I'm way less exciting. So feel free to always always follow the brand first. Is
0: Instagram really the brand the main? platform that you guys support? Uh, Have you guys done much on TikTok?
1: So we, yes, it is. Instagram is definitely the main platform. I'm personally obsessed with TikTok and there's a lot of painting and, and fun nail art tutorials. And so TikTok for nails is really fun too. But I personally think TikTok is just, is a really, is a let loose, let's just have fun platform right now. And so I'm really enjoying it. It feels a little bit less like Here's my photo album of my favorite, of my best vacation ever. Yeah, it's
0: so so true. Well, thank you so much. And thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode. Please subscribe to The Kara Golden Show so that you are sure not to miss amazing interviews with great entrepreneurs like Sarah. And please be sure to send in those five-star ratings. They absolutely make a difference for the algorithm. And follow me on all social platforms at Kara Golden. And don't forget to pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, where you can hear more about my journey and building Hint and so much more. And we are here every Monday and Wednesday. um, So definitely come back and listen and say hi to me on social platforms and thanks everyone for listening. Thanks again, Sarah and everybody have a great rest of the week. Goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Thanks for listening.